All right, so like I was saying, don't panic. Um, the topic this morning, I know for, for a handful of people, not that I know who those people are, you can never tell, will provoke questions. And so I've included comments addressing those kind of obvious questions. I'm going to drive by stuff that are like deep wells of questions and debate. And I'm just going to nod at it and keep going because I don't have time, all right? And so I put stuff in the notes hoping to kind of at least give you an idea of what I'm nodding at, okay? And so I'm just going to keep on rolling. So the notes will help you if you're like, hey, wait a minute, there's an enormous debate over that topic. How come you're not addressing it? Because no one cares but you and maybe one other person, all right? <laughs> and so I'm just going to keep rolling, all right? And so that's why you have so much, so many pages in your notes. It's like an appendix but mixed in to all the... Uh, all the content, okay? So that's the deal with that. All right. Um, so we've been in a 12-week uh, a series. We're in week six. We're halfway through um, called 12 Things Every Church Should Know. Um, these are 12 foundational truths that uh, hopefully are kind of reduced down to the absolutes, the things that are universally true for the body of Christ, not just Living Hope Church, but across the world, all right? These are foundational truths, all right? And we've done five so far. Last week um, was entitled The Family of God. Um, I could encapsulate that whole message by saying the church isn't like a family. It is a family. Okay? It doesn't represent a family. It doesn't approximate a family. It isn't sort of like a family in a few limited ways. It actually is one. And it's more so, I made the point last week, it's more a family, more real a family than your actual biological, natural, earthly family. Right? And so we talk through that. And if you don't believe me, just go listen to it. All right? And so this week, the title is Anointed Leaders. <clears throat> By anointed, that word gets thrown around a lot. Um, basically just means set apart for God's use. Okay? And it carries with it the idea that that person is enabled or given divinely enabled to do that. So when God says, you're going to do this job, he actually enables you to do it. Okay? That's what anointed means. So let's read the statement. By the way, all 12 of these are on a piece of paper back there if, if you'd like to read ahead. All right, so leaders are called of God, given by Jesus to the church, marked by his spirit, recognized by their gifts, approved by their character, and appointed to their work. Godly leaders are a gift to the church, not a curse. So this topic for pastors is sort of like talking about money. We just don't enjoy it. We don't like it um, because it feels a little bit like sort of a self-serving message. Like when pastors talk about money, it's hard not to play into or worry about the accusation. You're just trying to fill your line, your pockets. Here we go again, talking about money, trying to get rich off the, off the sheeple, right? And, and, this leadership topic is sort of similar. It's like, okay, here we go. It's the week when the pastor complains about how nobody's being supportive enough or buying into the vision enough or whatever. That is not going to be the tone, okay, um, at all. Uh, in your devotional work last week, I got to stop calling it homework. Um, and if you don't get those, there's a little thing called taking it further that I do each week. It looks back at the weeks, the sermon before, and looks ahead at the next week's. You can get that on your way out. 
I ask you to think, can think about the question, are, is leadership in the church necessary? Or is it just kind of a nice bonus? Or is it a necessary evil? <laughs> As probably some of us think, right? Is it actually important from God? And I want to, that's my main idea this morning, is do we need people like me or not? So I want to say, obviously, since I'm the pastor and I'm standing here saying it and asking the question, obviously, I think so. If I didn't think so, I wouldn't be doing this because this is hard sometimes, okay? Leaders are an essential gift, I believe. Ephesians chapter 4, 4 through 7. We'll be hanging out in these verses most of the morning. Ephesians 4. 4 through 7. Here's what he says. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift okay stop there so paul says you're one church okay it's not that there's a living hope church and a first baptist and a main street baptist and a first christian and they're all separate entities and i see them all separately there is one church right and you're all the same you're all equal in value and importance in that one church okay we're all, like, if you cut my arm off, I can live, but it's kind of a bummer, right? There are things I can't do. And so the arm is very important. Just because you can survive without it doesn't make it not important, right? And so every part of the body is vital and essential to that body. It's important, okay? We're one body, one spirit, one God, one Father of all, it's all one. We're all important and vital. And he makes that point very, very emphatically, okay? However, we're not all the same. Jesus apportions different gifts to different people to do different things, okay? One person's the hand, one person's the left hand, one person's the leg, right? And as I like to often say, somebody's got to be the sphincter, Right? Jenna loves that joke. I've given that before, and she just gives me the same look. I'm so glad she's on the front row today. Um, so somebody's got to do that job, right? But, however, all right, it's going downhill already. I'm not even to page eight yet. All right. Um, so everybody's got a different gift, and we don't decide, right? We don't decide who's got what gift. Jesus apportions in his infinite, perfect, divine wisdom who gets what gift, and they're not all the same. So we're one church. Everybody has the same value and same importance. We're all gifted in different ways, okay? This is his setup for Ephesians 4.11. We've got to stop leaving off these verses when we talk about Ephesians 4.11, okay? That we're one church, all right? All right. Let's look at Ephesians 4.11 then. 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and womanhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's a mouthful. But Jesus has given these four, I don't think it's five, I'll talk about that in a second, these four gifts to the church for the purpose of growing the whole church up to maturity. And what does maturity look like in the church? It looks like Jesus, right? That's what that means. So the goal is not to build some kind of fancy ministry for those four people where they get their name in lights and they get a ministry with their name on it and maybe a tour bus and if you're really lucky you get a jet with your name on it. That's not the goal. The goal is to equip the church so that the church would become mature and to become like Christ. That job is not done. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of, you know, cunning, fancy, false doctrine out there, and the church is still getting blown left and right by false doctrine and things that Paul describes right here. We are not mature yet. I wish we were. I want us to be. It's what gets me up every day. It's to see you become mature and the body of Christ across the world become mature. Okay, so let's talk about one thing about this that's very important that people often misunderstand is that the gift here in Ephesians 4.11 is not the spiritual ability that the person has. It's the person. This is different from 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul talks about spiritual gifts and he says the, the gift of prophecy is the gift. That ability is the gift, right? The gift of faith is the gift. Here is a different, okay? Grammatically, this is the gift is the person. God takes these people and he gives them to the church. Don't you feel lucky? (laughs) I am a gift to you, right? But that's the truth, right? This is why this is so awkward. This topic is just awkward. It just is. But this is the truth. All right, I have to tell myself this on a regular basis. I am a gift. I am a gift. I look myself in the mirror and I go, believe it. You are a gift. All right. This is, I think it's a profound thing. I mean, we, I laugh, but I think it's profound. And we have to change the way we think about what leadership is. It is not about spiritual competency. It's about God supplying the church with people that it needs. And when we begin to think of leadership that way, some of the the pain of having to submit to that leadership goes away because you go, okay, I'm going to believe in faith that these people are a gift to me. It's just like it's important that Scripture says that children are a gift from God because sometimes they don't feel like it. It's rare, I know. You kids that are listening, it's a rare thing. Wink, wink, right? Sometimes you have to receive that in faith. Children are a gift from God, always. It's what they are. 
It's the fundamental reason why I bring them up here every week to pray for them. It's I want them to hear us, me say, and you agree that they are a gift from God. It's important for them, and it's also important for you parents who maybe on this particular morning walking in here don't exactly feel that with great faith, right? Same thing here. Okay, so what are these four people that are gifts? What are they? I'm going to do this quickly, and this is one of those drive-bys, all right? Apostles literally means sent one. Based on the examples we see in the New Testament, these are those sent out by God to establish new churches and new places. They typically would move on to the next new thing after they established a church and it got going okay. They'd put some leadership in there and they'd move on to the next place. This is Paul's model, right? And he would go from city to city to city, planting new churches, and then he would keep up with them. Maybe travel back around. He'd send some letters where we get a lot of the New Testament from. It's Paul overseeing and sending letters to those people saying, hey, uh, you've gotten crazy, right? You had one job, right? I left you and everything was fine. A month later, I'm getting crazy stories. Stop it, right? That's the kind of stuff you get. That's what First and Second Corinthians is. It's just like, what in the world? I left you simple instructions. And look what you did with the place, right? So do I believe apostles are for today? Yes, but they are different than the first 12. All right, that's all I'm going to say about that. I would say lowercase a apostles versus capital A apostles is how what I, would, I would talk about it, all right? If you want to know why, that's in the notes. We need these people, these apostolic leaders. He was talking, he used that word. I loved it in that video. The work in Mozambique, that is picture, a picture-perfect example of what apostolic work looks like. Expanding into new territory, establishing foundations, planting churches, starting new things. That is not me. The very thought of me moving to Mozambique where there's nothing and starting something from nothing just gives me a, I, I could have a panic attack. That just feels terrible. I just don't, I don't want to do that. I don't think I'm gifted to do that. I prefer to just to land in the already started thing and do the pastor thing, right? Like this, right? To feed people and shepherd, right? We're going to talk about that in a minute. So we need these people. These are leaders pushing the church over the next horizon into new territory. This is the guy who's always looking at the horizon going, there's more, there's more. Why are y'all settling in? What are you settling in for? Why are you putting roots down? Let's go. There's a, there's a space over there that has, doesn't have a church. Why not? That's what they see. That's how they are. We need those people. This is not a, as it has often been used, that word apostle, this is not a leader king. A self-appointed title. This is a self-sacrificing pioneer. It's sad to me that often the cessationists, the ones who don't believe in apostles for today, have been busy doing incredible apostolic work, quite often more truly apostolic work than the people who believe in apostles. We've often been doing very little that would be actually be called apostolic instead, being busy grabbing power and building their own names, putting the word. If a guy walks up and says, I'm an apostle, and it's on his business card, 
I don't think he understands what an apostle is, and he's probably not one. I'm not saying that's absolutely true. But that title is not one people grab for. It comes with a lot of pain and a lot of suffering, and it requires a tremendous amount of humility. This is one of the things that's been refreshing about being a part of Confluence for me is the examples of apostolic leaders that aren't grabbing power, doing the apostolic power grab. They just want to see the church expand. And that's what they want. It's refreshing. The lasting effect on me is that I'm continually challenged by their example to think globally and to push into new things. That is not my natural bent. My natural bent is to settle and build a sheepfold. And that's a healthy thing, but sometimes I need to look over the wall of the sheepfold and say, oh, there's another sheepfold. We should, we should be a blessing to that one, right? What about prophets? Not to be thick-headed about it, but a prophet is one who prophesies, right? <laughs> prophets are not just occasionally gifted to prophesy, but seem to have a more resonant, permanent gift to hear from God. And Ephesians 4.11 prophet uses prophecy to do what Ephesians 4.11 says, to equip the church to become mature and to do ministry. New Testament prophets are not the same as Old Testament prophets, and that's what I talked about in this big thing I crossed out. All right? So New Testament prophecy has to be submitted to Scripture. Scripture binds the conscience. All right, if I go to you and say, God told me to do X, Y, Z, and you have to do that, it is up to you to decide if that's from God and if it lines up with Scripture or not. If I tell you to do something in the name of God that is not biblical, you are not bound in your conscience to do what I say. It's the same as true for what I'm saying to you right now. If I say, tell you to do something, this is true. If I say, this is true about God, and you look at your Bible and say, I don't think that's in there. You are not bound by what I just told you. You are bound by what Scripture says. You are only bound by what I say insofar as it is biblical, right? Scripture binds the conscience. Despite all the limitations that Paul puts on it, especially in 1 Corinthians, he says things like two, no more than three, should prophesy. It sounds very authoritarian when you read it. They shouldn't interrupt each other. They shouldn't repeat each other. They should be in order. You should be able to hear them all. It's very important they be understood. And then they all be judged, right? He's a very, a lot of rules. But then Paul turns around and says, I really want everybody to prophesy. So he says, stop being crazy, but prophesy. Do it. So why don't we just do it, right? Prophets are often the catalyst for change, as well as the first to rebuke God's people for straying from the covenant path. Prophets are often like a, a, a holy, sanctified fly in the ointment. They provoke. They seem to just naturally find any traces of puffery or religiosity or that little thing that you just wish you could just sort of hide, that weakness that you They just have a natural way of stepping on that one thing. Almost, I've seen my father do it so many times. Not even knowing what he's saying or doing, just poking the sore spot. 
They're like a spiritual compass that always points where God is going and says what God is saying, which helps the church maintain the right course and speed. We need prophets in the church. I would say they're non-optional. Evangelists. This one's funny because we've had lots of examples of people like apostles that have called themselves evangelists that don't really do evangelist's work. And we have a perspective quite often of the caricature of the TV preacher, right, with the coiffed hair and two jets and just like maybe just kind of like yelling a lot and being a certain, preaching with a certain style, but not doing a lot of evangelism, doing more like, you know, healing miracles and stuff, which I believe in, right? So try to just wipe that picture of the 2 a.m. TV preacher out of your head and think about what an evangelist is. We don't actually get a lot of definition for this. We can surmise, though, that this is one who is gifted for bringing new believers into the church and equipping the church to do the same. It does not necessarily mean that this person is an itinerant minister, meaning a traveling minister. None of these actually do, I would say, except for maybe apostles. If an apostle never leaves home, I don't think he's an apostle. Right, but the rest of them can be in one place, or in one place for a long time, and then move to another place. The evangelist keeps the pool from getting stagnant because nothing fresh is coming in. They keep the church from being busy with only feeding the already fed. They bring in new believers. They're gifted for that. I've known a couple of evangelists in my life, and it's like they could just, they could hiccup and somebody get saved. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I just love Jesus. He's like, why did you do that? That's just the gift. Just, it's just who they are. Some of you are like that. We need you. Shepherd teachers. Notice a hyphenate shepherd teachers. In the original grammar, the English equivalent of this would be a hyphenated word. Okay? They're the same. It says shepherds and teachers. That's one person, two different descriptions of the same person in that sentence in Ephesians 4.11. So the pastor and teacher are together, and again, we see Paul, like we talked about last week, not allowing instruction to be separated from pastoral care. A lot of teachers say, I don't want to be a pastor, I just want to be a traveling teacher. And the teacher who doesn't want to care for the sheep, A, it probably means he's boring, because the application of his teaching misses the mark because he's not in, in contact with people. So you get this kind of, if you hear me stand up and say, I'm going to do a teaching this morning, you're not going, yay, this is going to be really applicable. You're thinking dry. The reason for that is, is if you extract pastoral care from teaching, it just doesn't apply. The teaching is like, you might as well have a screen and thousands of miles between you. And it's a good information, but where's the shepherding? Paul never allows for this. Even when he describes what a shepherd and a teacher is, he puts them together as the same person. You can't father from a remote professional distance. A shepherd must smell like the sheep. You have to smell like the sheep because you've been among the sheep. So I don't accept this idea. I don't think it's biblical that you can say I'm a teacher, not a pastor, as a way of excusing yourself from the responsibility and the occasional uh, negative feedback to your teaching. 
that you get from being able to say, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm just a teacher. Just let me travel around and teach and leave when things blow up and somebody doesn't like what I say. I just don't see any biblical justification for that idea. A pastor is an under-shepherd of Jesus' flock. Jesus is the chief shepherd. The under-shepherd cares for, protects, feeds, meaning instructs, disciplines, and knows the sheep. The sheep know his voice because he's actually talked to them in person. Maybe this one is a little self-serving. The pastor's not just a nice guy. I like to remember that David killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands as part of his shepherding duties. A pastor mends the sheep and shoots the wolves and knows the difference between a wounded sheep that bites and a wolf that wants to destroy the sheep. Sometimes it's hard to tell. Sheep bite. There's this great video, I couldn't find it, I tried to find it, of a guy somewhere out in the Middle East, he's walking along by himself on a dirt road, and there's a video of him, and all of a sudden a sheep comes off camera, flying across, and just headbutts him, (laughs) flattens him on the dirt, and just keeps going. And he sort of gets up and stumbles and just kind of keeps walking. I was like, that's it! (laughs) Sheep are great until they just run you over in the middle of the street unsuspecting, all right? Sheep bite, and a pastor knows the difference between a biting sheep and a wolf. And he shoots the wolves and protects the sheep. A faithful pastor teaches the whole counsel of God from Scripture. He guards the doctrine of the church and feeds the sheep a steady diet of biblically rich food. By the way, this doesn't mean he's the best cook in the world, the best preacher. It's a weird thing we're experiencing today where you can go online and get amazing, amazing preaching. Preaching that I listen to, and it's like when you play an instrument and you hear someone who's amazing and you just want to put the instrument down and never play again. Because you're like, ow, that's, that's what a piano player is. Oh, I'm not even doing it. Right? That, like, really good. But here's the problem with that. That guy doesn't know you. And there is something, even if the preaching is bad, like if you're new here and you're coming from a church where you're like, this guy's dry and this is not his gift, that's more valuable than hearing me talk to you or someone else talk to you that you think is better but doesn't know you. Because that person has been praying for you all week. Just you. Thinking about you, praying for you as he studies and prepares a message, a meal for you. Imagine moms when you prepare, or dads when you prepare a meal for your kids. You're thinking about them. You're not making a meal for your neighbor. You're making a meal for them. And you're thinking about what they like. And every ingredient you put in, you're thinking, wow, I think Owen will really like, he loves a little extra salt. Or he loves, he loves a little extra cheese. I'm going to throw some extra cheese in there because Owen loves it. Right? That's what a pastor does for his sheep. And that is more valuable than the spit and polish you can get on a screen, on your phone, across the internet from somebody you don't know. That's good. That's like going out to eat at a restaurant. That's good food made by a professional chef. It's like, wow, the quality of this food is amazing. But it ain't the same as mama's cooking. 
because mama's cooking is made with love. A little extra bacon grease. Because she knows my man likes some bacon. Right? That is the difference. And so, yeah, go out to eat. Enjoy what America has provided in the church. Wonderful teaching. That's just amazing. Go eat it all up and enjoy it. But remember that is not the same as what your shepherd teacher provides for you. Okay, and I'm going to stop talking about it because it feels weirdly self-serving. All right. So how do these function in the church? I'm going to give you four. It's probably more. One, there is nothing here that says that the pastor must be the leader of the local church. <sighs> that role can go to any of these. However, experience and wisdom do tell us that the pastor is usually best suited for that role. But I would say quite often, like when you're planting a church, a church plant requires a different kind of leader than the guy that maintains it. Quite often, an apostle or an apostolic leader, however you want to talk about it, plants a church, gets it going, establishes leadership, and brings in somebody maybe who's pastoral. Sometimes a church might be really stagnated, have been around for a long time, and they're stuck, and they need somebody to come shake the snow globe, right? Get a prophet. They say, hey, will you come in here and just shake the snow globe for like a year and a half, and then please leave, <laughs> right? Just come shake it. Everybody's like, oh, what's happening? And then bring the pastor in, Right? That sort of, that, that, that's a really good way to use those gifts, but that's why we end up quite often with the pastoral guy as the one who maintains the church over time. All those gifts working together. Number two, none of these gifts to the church are given for their own sake. They are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And ministry doesn't exist for itself either. We really need to hear this as the, our church is growing. We do not exist for ourselves. Whatever ministry God's called you either to lead or to be a part of, it does not exist for itself. It exists to mature the body of Christ and to expand it. That's why it exists. I don't ever want anyone to make it into leadership at this church that only wants to draw people to themselves. It is weirdly common. Because all of your insecurities come out. They just come out. You th thought you didn't have any. You thought you'd work through all of your insecurities. Your need to be liked and appreciated and known and just applauded every now and then. Just give me a couple of hand claps every now and then. You, you thought you dealt with that until all of a sudden you're leading something and somebody gives you a compliment and it completely freaks you out. Because you feel this thing in you, an itch getting scratched that shouldn't get itched. And you don't even know how to respond. You're like, thank you, I don't know what to say. Just say thank you. It's never about your message or your ministry. It's about equipping other people to be ministers so that the entire body of Christ becomes as mature as Christ. Getting this wrong is almost always at the heart of people getting hurt by church leaders. Is this got messed up? People started getting used as cannon fodder 
as fuel for the machine of the ministry and not as the point of the ministry. Whatever it is you're called to do, what matters about it is the people. Whatever it is you're called to do, whether you're called to lead or not to lead, you know, you're kind of all really called to do both. But whatever it is you're like, ah, God's given me a calling because everybody has one. It's about the people, not about the ministry, always. The sheepfold matters only insofar as it has sheep in it. The point of the sheepfold or the ministry is the sheep. No one would build a sheepfold and say, please don't screw this up by putting sheep in it. Maybe we would, actually. Look at my beautiful sheepfold. So well constructed. This gate is so nice, isn't it? Yeah. I got it online, put it together myself. It's amazing. It's perfect. It's got a beautiful concrete slab. Look at it. You know, as soon as we got that concrete down, some jerk spun out his tires on that thing. You know, that's God. God's going, hey, nice concrete. Nice sheep full. How about we just screw it up a little bit? Who did this? Sheep did it. Who let sheep in here? <laughs> this is what we are. This is what we do. We build sheepfolds for sheep. It's about the sheep, not the sheepfold. Okay? It's about the sheep, not your ministry. It's about the sheep, not your calling. It's about the sheep, not your gift. It's about the sheep, not your feelings or your comfort or your accolades or your appreciation or being noticed or not noticed. It's about none of those things. It's about the sheep. In the world, the more authority you have, the more rights you enjoy. Think about like your boss at work. The higher up the chain you go, the better, bigger your office gets, the better your parking gets, the more money you make, the more people there are to serve your needs and bring you coffee and do things for you, right? The higher up you go. And so we all imagine like the CEO of the company, and it's true, he gets the best. He gets the best of everything. He gets the most rights. That's how the world works. And that's why most people are trying to climb the ladder because they think, well, the higher up the ladder I go, the more privileges and rights I get. And the new guy, the new guy at the company starts off where? In the mailroom, bringing coffee to his boss, right? But the idea is the American dream is work your way up the ladder so that you get more privileges, more rights, a better office, better treatment, and a better life. That's the world's way of looking at authority. But in the kingdom of God, it's the opposite. The more authority you have, the fewer rights you enjoy. So I have this fun diagram that I did not make up myself. More authority, more rights in the world, and the whole thing is flipped in the kingdom of God. The more authority you have, the less rights you have. And you move down towards the bottom. Another way you can look at it is a ladder. In the kingdom of God, you climb down the ladder. And the goal is to get all the way down to the bottom rung. And every time you pass somebody on the ladder, you pull them up to where you were. And you take their place farther down. And you keep going down 
and down and down until you get down to the very, very bottom. Success in ministry in the kingdom of God looks like dying. It doesn't look like elevation. It doesn't look like climbing up, getting to the top, standing at the top rung and saying, look, I got the biggest house and the best car and the best treatment. I got an entourage of people that serve my every need and constantly just try to remove obstacles in my life so I don't have to have any stress because the work of ministry is so hard. Here I am at the top. Finally, I have succeeded. That is the world's system with a religious skin on it. And all you're doing is putting lipstick on a pig, as they say. And you see why in that system people get hurt. Because as you climb the ladder, when you encounter someone else in your way on the ladder, what do you do? You grab them and you yank them out of your way because they're in your way. You're impeding the ministry. It's the world system. And too often we have imported that mentality into the church. Number three, the leadership goal of any church should be to have all of these gifts, Ephesians 4.11, bearing influence on the church. There should be apostolic influence, prophetic input, evangelistic effort, pastoral care, and biblical teaching. That's how you evaluate a healthy church. And lastly, none of these have a requirement that they be vocational, meaning you don't have to get paid to do it. If right now this church like fell apart and we had no money to pay me, I would still be a pastor. It has nothing to do with whether I get paid or not. It has to do with the calling. All right, let's read our statement again, and we'll talk about quickly about the marks of church leadership. Leaders are called by called of God, given by Jesus to the church, marked by His Spirit recognized by their gifts, approved by their character, and appointed to their work. Okay, what do we mean by marked by the Spirit? Every leader in the New Testament was marked by a life lived by the Spirit. Even in Acts chapter 6, when they chose deacons, which we typically think of as the sort of dry, serious, practical people. What he says is, the first qualifications, like go pick some deacons. They have to be filled with the Spirit. Man, you know, Stephen was a deacon. He saw into heaven. It's crazy. This is the requirement. They're qualified by being full of the Spirit. Secondly, recognized by their gifts. Maybe this is obvious, but it's weird how it's not. Prophets have to prophesy. Evangelists will evangelize. Apostles plant. Sheep are drawn to shepherds. Look, if you say, I'm called to be a pastor, but no one likes you, you're not. <laughs> or maybe you are and you need to change, but you shouldn't be pastoring if you don't like people. Quite often, that's how you get hurt. You have a pastor of a church who's not a pastor, and everyone tries to act like he's a pastor, but he's not. He doesn't like people. And so when you go to him, you get this kind of brushy you know, kind of thing. Maybe he's a prophet. Maybe he's an apostle. Maybe he's, been, maybe he's apostolic and he's been here far too long. He needs to go plant something. Who knows? We get into trouble when we do this to people. Recognized by your gifts. In the kingdom of God, you don't get the title and then go do the job. That's the way the world works. You get the title, you get the job, and then you go do it. 
In the kingdom of God, it's the opposite. Instead, you do the job for a long time and maybe eventually get the title right around the time that you stop caring about getting the title. That's how the kingdom of God works. You do the job. Why? Because it's about the sheep, not your calling. So if you're walking around going, man, one day I'm going to be recognized. I'm going to be tapped on the shoulder, and then I will be this. You are going about it in a worldly way. That's how you get a job in the world, is you go look for the title. Say, hire me. I promise I can do it. And you convince a company to believe that you can do the job, and they give you the job, and then you try to do it. In the kingdom of God, God says, I don't care. Just do the job. Don't wait for that. It's a terrible and common mistake to give titles to people that are not gifted for it or to give titles to people before they're ready for it. Approved by their character, 1 Timothy 3, 2-7. This will be part of your um, devotional this week. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." Notice, gifting is not mentioned in these qualifications. It's character. This is just a description of good, godly character, isn't it? When you think of somebody who's got good character, this is what you would, how you would describe it. This is not about gifting. It's about maturity in Christ. So character matters infinitely more than gifting. A leader is, yes, a leader must actually do, be able to do, have the gift that he says he has. But if he doesn't have godly character, he is not qualified. Character always matters more. Miracles do not indicate good character. I hope we've learned that lesson. Please tell me we've learned that lesson. It's because you can do a miracle, a legitimate, proven, verified miracle. When you prayed, something happened does not mean God approves of that person. Effectiveness in ministry does not indicate good character or the approval of God. Great public speaking does not indicate good character or the approval of God. Large attendance does not indicate good character or the approval of God. Sheep sometimes follow really terrible shepherds. And sometimes lots of them Lots of sheep will gather around a really, really bad shepherd. High levels of gifting should never become a shortcut to bypassing the low and slow process of establishing good character. A little bit of barbecue terminology for you. When you cook a pork butt, you cook it at a low temperature for a long time because all that tough tissue inside that meat has to break down, right? And it breaks down. And if you cook it hot, it won't break down. You got to cook it low and slow. That's how good character forms. 
long periods of time at a low temperature. Just a long, long time. And quite often, people say, I'm so gifted. When you look at the person who's so gifted and so effective, and we say, oh, they're fine. Just turn the heat up and let them jump in without looking at their character. You've got a guy on stage performing miracles. And everybody goes, oh, wow, let's go to see that ministry. And there's no character there to support it. It takes time to build good character, and it takes time to show it. Appointed to their work. Leaders in the Bible never come out of nowhere. They're appointed. There's always a handing off of authority. Leaders are commissioned. Elisha had Elijah. Even Jesus had John the Baptist. The apostles had Jesus. Timothy and Barnabas had Paul. The best pathway into your ministry is another minister. But it is not the easiest path. It's actually the hard way. I love the story of Elisha and Elijah because Elijah was a terrible mentor. Okay? I'm not being mean to Elijah. I think at this point he'd admit it. Elisha's following the guy around. Please just give me your blessing. I wanna, I wanna, I'm called to do what you're called to do. And Elijah practically ignores the kid. And he goes, I'm going over here. Stay here. Stop following me. And what's Elisha do? He completely ignores that and he keeps following him bugging him, pestering him. Come on, just give me your anointing. Give me your blessing. Give me what God gave you. And Elijah keeps running away from him, avoiding him, ignoring him, treating him terribly. He is a bad mentor. And Elisha persists, and eventually what happens is he gets it at the very last second. Right before Elijah ascends into heaven, he tosses him his cloak as a symbol of his calling. This calls us back to last week's sermon where Paul says that there's not enough fathers. There's not. This is why we need fathers. Because a father gives his anointing to his sons as a spiritual picture of how the church is supposed to work. We need more fathers. It's better to be given authority and leadership than to have to take it. All right. I'm going to read this verse. This is how we're going to close. I'm not going to do all these practical tips. We're just going to do one. Obey your leaders and submit to them, Hebrews says. That's exciting. Of course the pastor would say that verse. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to who? You. It's not even about, if you just leave that part off, you think it's about the leader. If you read the whole verse, you realize it's, not, it's about your blessing, not theirs. So is this phrase, obey your leaders, an unpalatable concept to you? Because he doesn't say, if it behooves you, consider doing what they say. He uses the word obey. Oh. I think if you have a perspective on leadership that is from the world, remember the triangles, where the leader gets to do all the cool stuff, everyone else serves the leader. Then the, then the phrase, obey your leaders, is gross to you. Because what it says to you is, we're not one church. We're this guy's church. 
or that guy's church or this group of guys' church, however your church is structured in their leadership. And I'm just the cannon fodder on the ground. I'm just the fuel for the machine that gets tossed into the fuel tank and gets burned up so that we can make more. But if your perspective is a kingdom perspective with kingdom leadership in place, where the triangle is upside down, the idea of obeying your leaders is a joy to you because you get to do the cool stuff. You've been activated. You've been set into motion. You have been sent. You, and, the, and the leadership is getting down as low down the ground at the bottom rung as they can get underneath you. And so now the idea of honoring or submitting to or obeying your leaders becomes a joy because it's the right kind of leadership and you have a right kingdom perspective. When you get the wrong kind of leadership or the wrong kind of perspective, this is very hard. So how do we do this? Practical tips. I'm going to give you one. I have more here. This is the biggest one. The single biggest encouragement to a godly leader is that you would grow in maturity. I'm not making that up. I'm not saying that because it makes us sound so humble. That is the truth. Our elders in this church don't cry a lot, but they will cry over one thing without fail. And it's any story that they hear about you really going for it or overcoming some obstacle in your life. Maybe you've never been a Bible studier, and all of a sudden you just get on top of it and you start doing it. They'll cry. You've been praying for something for years and not seen an answer to that prayer, and all of a sudden you get it, and God comes through, and he does something for you that you've been praying for, and they hear the story, they cry. If you've not been using your spiritual gifts, and one day you just step out and you do it, and you just do the thing, and you think it's no big deal, and nobody saw it, they cry. This is the most, the single most encouraging thing you can do for a godly leader is to actually grow and mature in Christ. It's why we do what we do. When you take a leap of faith or press into prayer and study or reconcile with a friend or strengthen your marriage or serve someone or go out of your way to encourage or mentor someone who needs it, it is worth a million thank yous. That makes it worth it. So it's not just me that that's true for. It's every single godly leader in your life, your small group leader, Christina, who heads up the Sunday school, every leader in this church the one thing you can do to make this a joy for them is to just go for it. To swing for the fences as hard as you can and go for it. That's what will do it. All right. I would like to pray for two groups of people. One, I'd like to um, pray for the current leaders and families in the church. I think that's an obvious thing. But then I'd like to pray for those that feel called into church leadership. This idea of leadership is a huge topic. I've just focused on church leadership this morning. It's an enormous topic. So if I could just have every leader in the, in the church, and if you don't know if you are one, just stand up. All right, just go ahead and stand up. Elders, deacons, elders' wives, deacons' wives, small group leaders. Please don't let me list them all because I'll miss one and then 
I'll be in trouble. Just if you're not, if you're like, I don't know if I am, just stand up. You probably are. It's great that you're hesitating to stand up. <laughs> but do it anyway. Can we just, if you're nearby them, would you just lay hands on them? Dad, why don't you stand up too? Just whoever you're close to, just lay hands on them. We're going to pray. God, I thank you that we are one church. And God, I thank you for giving these gifts to the church. As we go, first of all, we just receive them as gifts. God, I pray that you would strengthen their weak knees. God, that you would inspire them for the next thing. God, that you would remove false burdens and false expectations from them. God, I pray for uh, a supernatural infilling of your spirit right now. God, the gift of faith. God, the ability to see over the next horizon and lead in that direction. God, I pray for every leader who's not here this morning that you would do the same for them. God, I pray against discouragement, the probably the number one destroyer of faith and strength for leadership is discouragement. It is always knocking at the door. And God, we just say no to discouragement right now. God, the door is closed to discouragement. We speak that in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for a, a, a just a supernatural Holy Spirit infusion of encouragement right now. God, we pray for the church across the world. God, in every local church, God, that you would encourage the leadership there. God, all is not lost. God, your, your kingdom is not shrinking, it's expanding. And God, I pray for a, a wave of Holy Spirit encouragement to flow across your body right now. In the name of Jesus, amen. And Mozambique, amen. <laughs> so why don't you guys sit down, and then I want to also pray for those of you who feel called, maybe even just this morning. This is dangerous. But you feel called to leadership in the church, and don't overdefine that. Even if that's as vague as it is, I would like to pray for you too, so why don't you stand up? feel called to leadership in the church and you're not in it yet, I want to pray for you. Anybody? All right. We got one. Who else? think somebody should be standing up, feel free to poke them. <laughs> See, it's hilarious. I'm seeing a lot of this happening right now. You should be standing up. All right, let's pray for them, all right? God, above all, we ask that you would um, cook in good, godly character in all of these. God, make them like you. God, that just seems like a crazy statement sometimes. 
knowing us the way we know ourselves. But God, I pray that you would grow these future leaders into uh, models of good character. That even if they don't become elders in title, they would be like elders in your church. God, I pray that you would commission them to their work, appoint them to it. God, give them fathers who will mentor them into it. God, I pray for, for provision for their calling to get into place right now. God, I pray for all of those in this room who maybe wondered if they should get stand up or not, and, and, and maybe you, maybe they're just not sure and it's unclear or that seemed like too bold of a move. God, I pray that you would clarify your calling. God, that we would produce godly leadership in this church. Leadership that doesn't gather unto itself, but gathers unto you, Jesus. That fills the sheepfold with sheep. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.